Hello out there in podcast world. This is Renewed Gurus, your source for all things energy policy and politics in Missouri and beyond. I'm Executive Director James Owen coming to you live on tape from Renew Missouri's palatial studios in Northern Columbia. Joining us from his undisclosed location in Columbia is our producer, Philip Frasica. Hey, Philip. How's it going? How are you doing today? Me? Oh, don't ask. <laughs> it's been it's been quite a, it's been quite an epic uh, journey to get to this point today. But we do have an exciting guest. Um, for those of us who say that we focus too much on Kansas City and St. Louis, and I know you're out there listening, uh, we do want to talk a little bit about Springfield today, a place I know very well, and a place our guest knows very well too. We have Chris Jones from City Utilities, the municipally owned utility down there in Springfield. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. Good to be here. Thank you for joining us. Now, uh, for our uh, for our listeners out there, what is your title with um, City Utilities? Yeah, my title is Vice President, Chief Electric Operations Officer. So my areas of responsibility are pretty much uh, everything on the electric side of the utility business in Springfield, power generation, power delivery, mm-hmm. planning, compliance, uh, all those sorts of things. Okay. Um, how long have you been doing that job for the City Utilities? You know, I've been in this current role for about five years, and I've been at City Utilities for 29 years. Oh, hey. Uh, yeah, various roles from engineering, project management, construction, um, did a little time in IT, and even ran our public transit system for a few oh. years. Uh, which is, uh, which is always, I think, is always important to note uh, with City Utilities in Springfield. Not only do they provide utility services there, but they also run the transportation, public transportation in Springfield as well, which is a big big, you know, that's a big job. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, so, I mean, obviously you've been there for 29 years in different roles. I mean, quite a bit has changed in the utility world since you started. A lot's changing every day with, with what you do. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I was, I was trying to set up a softball there. Sorry. Um, but yeah, I mean, so you, so with this, okay, so like, let's talk a little bit about city utilities. I mean, so you serve more or less all the residential and business customers in the city of Springfield limits. I mean, there's a little bit of overlap with some other areas outside of there, I think. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. We, uh, we, we serve or have the right to serve exclusively within the city limits. Um, the city of Springfield purchased the electric utility back in 1945 from an investor-owned utility. So we actually uh, have the service territory of Springfield Gas and Electric, which was an investor-owned utility. So we serve outside the city limits, um, but mostly within Greene County. So there mm-hmm. is a defined service territory. So we go uh, out west almost to uh, Republic, if you're familiar with uh, the area. And then we go out east almost to Stratford and Rogersville, yeah. down south to the Christian County line and up north almost all the way to the Polk County line. So, yeah, yeah we have quite a bit of service territory outside the, outside the city limits. I think we have a fair amount of people from Springfield listening to this, so we can go local. Uh, you know, I didn't realize it had been a privately owned utility before the city purchased it. That's something new I learned today. Yeah. Um, wow, that's that's interesting. Okay, um, cool. But you all provide electricity, water, gas, natural gas, natural gas, and and we mentioned that you also manage the trans public transportation for the city as well. Um, how I mean, so I mean, in a nutshell, how many how many customers do you um, serve with electricity? So, uh, yeah, on the electric side, uh, about one hundred and seventeen thousand. 
so mm-hmm. 117,000 meters. Um, we also provide uh, broadband services to oh. the city of Springfield, primarily right. on the uh, commercial side. So we provide fiber services. And then we just partnered with uh, another company to provide uh, kind of gigabit internet service to the whole community. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's the, the fifth division of the utility branded as SpringNet. Some people know it as SpringNet, but it's, it's part of city utilities as well. Okay. So you have 117,000 meters, give or take. Um, Springfield itself, I mean, I know there's a new census number coming up, but last time there was a census, there's a shade under 160,000 people who live in Springfield. Obviously, a lot of them might live in, you know, the same house, and so they're not going to be separate customers. Um, but it's a big, continuing to grow area. Yes. Um, you know, you, you started working there 29 years ago. I mean, I can remember you know, in the early 90s, how you didn't really, I mean, you just barely had, and I'm going to go local for folks, you had James River Expressway open up. There was, you were seeing like a lot more uh, moving south, which I have to imagine, I mean, as much as the city encourages growth and encourages people moving there, presents a lot of challenges for a utility to make sure you're providing service for those areas. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, uh, the, I mean, it's a good problem to have. You want to have a growing community and a growing system. It, it, it's always easier if you do. Uh, but does, yeah, it does present challenges from a, from a capacity standpoint, having the uh, right amount of capacity in the right location, right? We may have some downtown areas that um, have, or maybe not as developed, and then some areas on the fringe that are developing very quickly, and we have have extra capacity in the middle of town and not enough on the edges. So yeah, it right. absolutely presents challenges. Yeah. And I mean, cause you hear, uh, I mean, I hear utility folks talk about that all over the state when you talk about people kind of moving outward and then they start moving inward again. <laughs> and that seems to be kind of a trend with larger uh, cities. So, I mean, it's just kind of that influx of, you know, it's, it seems like it's easy, easier for people to move these days. Maybe, maybe that's an assumption on my part, but that can also present challenges for where you've got to get that power and you've got to get that distributed. Um, now, you know, because you are a municipal utility, I mean, you know, we talk, we, we try to do a lot of education with the public here about how investor-owned utilities like Ameren and Evergy are different than co-ops or different than the municipal-owned utilities. I mean, you, you are, you know, when you build, if you if you were to build your own power, you got to go get bonds. It's really expensive. I mean, it's not the same. I mean, you, you kind of have limitations in that area as opposed to like, say, Ameren or Evergy, who can seek a rate increase from the Public Service Commission and get a, a project like that paid for. Fair to say? Correct. Yeah. For our process for revenue, bonds would take uh, approval at our board and then city council and then a, a vote in the community. Um, so yeah, there's, there's some hurdles there, um, not, not hurdles that are difficult or necessarily impossible to overcome, but there are, there are some different, uh, different hurdles and yeah, the, and I think the primary difference, and, and you may be uh, getting to this with a municipal utility and, and the co-ops to some degree is they're owned by the people that, that are their customers. Right. And there's not the same profit motive. So we, we have to have some amount of margin in what we do because that funds our future capital projects. Um, if we have an area that's growing and we need to, to build some infrastructure, we have to have money to do that. But that that uh, margin doesn't ever go back to the owners in in like the management of the company. We don't we don't get a bonus. Matter of fact, it's 
not legal for municipal utilities to get a bonus in the state of Missouri. So um, that, that's a big, a big differentiation, you know, for investor-owned utilities, they're going to take their profits and put some of that back into their shareholders, uh, where ours are really just reinvested in the community. Something else I learned today, there's actually like a like actual letter law about that. You can't get any, you can't get any incentives for building more things or, or things like that if you're a municipal utility Correct. executive. Okay. Yeah. Philip, I didn't know that. Did you know that? No, but that's awesome. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Jefferson City, for watching out for us. Okay. So, uh, so, and so to that extent, I mean, because because you do have to go through a lot of, you know, different, there's different motivations, there's different hurdles that you have to go through. I mean, with a municipal utility, or let's say your utility, I mean, how much power do you own that you, like, how much generation do you own? I mean, I'm trying to think about the right way to phrase that. Right. But like, what are you, what does city utilities say? Like, we own this power plant, we produce this, and we use it largely for our customers. Right. So we have, uh, we do have locally owned power generation. We have uh, two units out at uh, John Twitty Energy Center on the southwest side of, of town um, that are about 500 megawatts total. So 200 megawatt and a 300 megawatt unit. Mm -hmm. And then we have uh, six combustion turbines, two at that location, two at James River Power Station, which is the, the one by Springfield Lake, yep. and then two at McCartney. Uh, up in Northeast Springfield. And the total of that generation is probably around 450 megawatts. So, mm -hmm. so that's kind of what we own. Uh, we do have yeah. a small solar uh, that's a purchase power agreement. It's only five megawatts. And then we have yep. some landfill generation. It's about three megawatts that we own. Mm -hmm. um, and then as far as other resources, we have uh, purchase power agreements with three wind farms, but we don't, we don't own them and they're not local. Two right. are in Kansas and one's in Oklahoma. So we buy the energy from those um, through an agreement, but we don't we don't own those. But we do we do buy that energy. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, and I mean, really, when you and I I, I want to kind of um, break down a lot of what you were just talking about. But I mean, I've seen numbers where you are routinely buying a, you know a good percentage of your power that is being delivered to your customers from these wind farms. Yes. I mean, sometimes around 40%, I mean, or higher maybe on some days. Yes. Is that about right? Yeah. Yeah. For 20, so I have the numbers for 2021, uh, 43% uh, from, from wind resources. Uh, and then, you know, we, we also have a contract with uh, Southwestern Power Administration to buy hydropower. Mm -hmm. It's not considered renewable, but still carbon free. That's about four yeah. percent of our generation. So, if you look at carbon free generation, we're in the forty-five percent range. Sometimes a little bit above that. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I know. I mean, while you're not uh, guided by the renewable energy standard at the state of Missouri, um, like the privately owned ones are, they do consider hydro renewable. We could have a whole podcast about that. Right. right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, so, okay. So when you talk about the John Twitty Center, you talk about the two units there, those are coal burning. They are. Units. You have gas burning engines or combustible uh, generation there. Um, now, did I read somewhere, you have a, another coal plant kind of over by Lake Springfield. Are you demolishing that? Are you all like planning on tearing that down? And you're like at a contest for who could hit the button? Am I, thinking, am I thinking of the right thing? Yeah, yeah, you are. So we, we are doing a phase one decommissioning. So there were uh, five units at James River Power Station. Uh, yeah. 
uh, steam units. They were actually dual fuel. They could be gas or coal, but um, right. they original, they were the original 1957 vintage uh, generation that kind of helped build Springfield. So they, they kind of lived their useful life. Uh, the, the phase one decommissioning is just the external uh, pieces of the plant. So the cooling towers, uh, the coal handling equipment, but it's also the stacks. So there's four stacks, yeah. unit one and two are, are combined and then three, four and five. And so we had a, uh, a fundraiser for, to benefit United Way mm. where people could enter a, a raffle, if you will, by a chance to, to push the button to blow the stack. So that will occur this Saturday. And I think we're, we're close to raising $10,000 wow. uh, for someone to push that button. And uh, the, the brick building that actually houses the turbine generators and some of the other equipment, it's going to remain. Um, it probably will remain indefinitely. There's a lot of interest in retaining that building and maybe reusing it for, for something different. Um, uh -huh. We won't ever demolish that building, we don't think. Uh, but we will continue to remove the equipment and the, the things that would prevent reuse of the building over time. I see. So I want to make sure I understand this. Uh, the, you are auctioning a chance to do this and people have to bid yep. on that. And does that close on Saturday, you said? Uh, actually, the event is Saturday morning. I think the, uh, the opportunity to buy a chance is going to end either Thursday or Friday. So it's, oh. it's, coming, it's coming to a close pretty soon, yeah. Well, Philip, I know we always try to like maintain this illusion that you could like be listening to this podcast anytime, but I think we definitely need to make sure people know yep. about this opportunity to donate money to blow this thing up, right? <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Okay, we'll put that in the in the email that this is going out on. It's for a good cause, folks. Right. I right. actually think that's pretty clever. Um, so yeah, so you've got these. Okay, we talked a little bit about what you what city utilities owns, and then we talked a little bit about these um, purchase power agreements. Mm -hmm. Which, um, you know, that's a, that's a phrase that we uh, will throw around a little bit in some of our webinars and on our emails. So that's essentially where you have, I mean, and correct me if I'm oversimplifying this, you have a separate party producing this power and you have basically a contract that you're going to buy from them over a certain amount of years and they're going to be able to provide X amount of power to you, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they're in Oklahoma or Kansas. Where are those at? Both. One in Oklahoma, two in Kansas. Okay, a lot of wind. Absolutely. Down there. Um, and uh, now, so that is, and I want to make sure that I, I kind of explain this to people correctly. I mean, is that is that something that you have, I mean, and this is really complicated. You like directly transmit that to Springfield. I mean, how, how would you, if you were to explain this to an idiot like me, how would you explain like you got power in Oklahoma, you got to get it to Springfield. You buy it from Oklahoma, this place down there. I mean, is that just run on normal transmission lines? Does that run on stuff you own, transmission lines you own? How does that work? Yeah, so we're a member of, we'll, we'll add another layer of complication to it. <laughs> yeah, uh, We're a member of Southwest Power Pool, which is a regional transmission organization. So yes. um, we are interconnected with all of the utilities within that footprint. So it's, uh, it's a fairly... Uh, com compared to what it used to be, it's a, a, a streamlined process that if there is a power generation source within this uh, uh, region of Midwestern states that we're a part of, then yeah, you can, you can purchase energy from that source 
it will be transmitted across those transmission lines um, to, to a delivery point, which would be us. Now, there is some work that has to be done to make sure there's capacity between the source and the load. And if there's not, then there may have to be some transmission upgrades to allow that flow. But essentially, yeah, you, you contract with a generator at point A and you take delivery at point B and it flows across mm. the transmission system, some that we own, some that other people own, but all within that uh, regional transmission organization that we're a part of. And we pay to have access to all that transmission. Yeah. And Okay. So yeah, because I mean, I was going to get to the... Um... We call it the SPP here on the biz. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I remember this was like, um, I mean, this has always been like, I mean, this is something that I, I think it's something that, you know, guys like us talk about a lot. It is somewhat unknown to the public about how these regional organizations work. I remember it was, uh, I think it was about a year ago. This Almost week, exactly. right? Yeah, and we was. had that big freeze, the winter storm right. fury. Also, I've only heard that referred to in our business and not anywhere else. But it's when it got super cold everywhere, and then all of a sudden, people started hearing on the news that this SPP was telling Springfield and Kansas City they had to like maybe limit. Uh, they might have to be expecting some sort of blackouts, rolling brownouts. I can't remember what the exact phrase was. And everyone's like, what is the SPP? Who are these people? I mean, it was a little controversial, was it not? It was, yeah. Yeah, I think that was probably the first time the, the general public um, knew of SPP because they don't, inter they don't interact directly with utility customers. They interact with utilities and transmission owners right. and renewable developers and and other, you know, generator operators. So, yeah, I think that it, it, exactly as you said, people are like, who is this SPP and why are they making us shut the power off? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, because I mean, I remember like, because I remember I, like, uh, I talked to his, uh, Austin Hugenland at the, I can't say his last name, but he's not the newsletter anymore. He right. was doing a story about it. And I was saying like, look, this is actually like, I think pretty good. I mean, the SPP is like, you know, it, it actually increases reliability. It increases reliance because you are able to, get it outside of, of your service territory area, which I mean, we then learned Texas was having far worse problems because they were largely more self-contained. I don't want this to become a thing about Texas. We've already done podcasts about that, but I think, you know, I think what it showed, because I mean, Springfield had very little, if any, you, you know better than me, it didn't have as much disruption as some other parts of the country, right? With that storm. We didn't. Well, certainly less in Texas. So everyone right. in SPP pretty much got the same order, um, which there were two separate, uh, we like to call them controlled outages, but yeah, rolling blackouts. And, and the concept there is that if everybody shuts off some of their load for a period of time, that's going to prevent the entire grid, that regional grid from collapsing. Because um, yeah. SPP is a balancing authority, so they have to balance the load with generation and there was more load than there was generation. And if that gets too far out of balance, then the system becomes unstable. So that's why they had to have, you know, reduced load, controlled right. outages, controlled rolling blackouts. Um, so yeah, there were two events. One was pretty short, maybe less than an hour. The other one was uh, a little longer, maybe a couple of hours. Um, and then that was it. But yeah, first time in my career that we have ever intentionally shut off customers I told right. Gary Gibson, our CEO and president, I said, I've spent you know, my entire career trying to figure out how to keep the power on. This feels very strange that we're intentionally turning the power off, but yeah. it was the right thing to do in that moment. I think SPP 
has went through a process to to look at that and see if it could be managed differently in the future. So it may look a little different in the future, but that was the process that was in place. And it worked yeah. well for what it was, just wasn't popular. And, yeah. And it's, and it's hard to measure preventative uh, success because I mean, you could say like by doing that, you might've avoided larger problems. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And also, and I think we've talked about this a lot on this podcast, certainly in emails, SPP covers, um, a lot of Western Missouri, if you are an Evergy customer um, up in Kansas City, that is part of SPP. If you are in Joplin with Liberty Empire, they are there. SPP is based in Little Rock. And so it is kind of like this area that covers, you know, I mean, part of the Midwest, part of the Southwest. I don't know what you call Missouri anymore. I don't know if it's Midwest or the South or whatever it is, but it's there. And so, you know, kind of like tie a bow onto like the current state of things. City Utilities has power they own. They have power that you contract with and that some sometimes run through uh, infrastructure or I guess infrastructure ran by SPP. But you can also, if you need it, buy power from SPP as well, if you need it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And we, and so, and we do. Um, yeah. yeah it, we're in the market every day. So if... If we can buy energy from the market that's at a lower cost than what we can self-generate, then we'll do that. Yeah. If yeah. we can self-generate and it costs less than the market, then we'll do that. So it, it provides a hedge for our customer, our generation mm -hmm. assets, but we kind of get the best of both worlds. If there's low cost energy, we can buy that and helps keep the customer's cost down. And that's kind of a nonstop job trying to like kind of calculate that and figure out what is the best benefit. I mean, that's like, that's nonstop, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. It changes yeah. every day, every hour. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's pretty dynamic. It's quite an operation really. Um, so we've got all, I mean, so, so I think that kind of lays out what you all have currently, but one of the reasons I wanted to have you on today is because um, next week, again, I'm ruining this illusion of time, Philip, I'm sorry. I always warn you not to do this, but um, you are in the process of having some public meetings opportunities right. for the public to come and talk about something called the integrated resource plan or IRP also as we say in the biz um if you're gonna if you're going to I gotta quit saying in the biz because that's just like super obnoxious um so if you were to like kind of have to explain in a nutshell Chris Jones city utilities about what the IRP is what the integrated resource plan is how would you describe it so it's a it, it's really a, a power supply plan. Uh, it's a 20 year look into the future of our resources that we've talked about, which would be utility owned generation, purchase power agreements. Uh, we'll also throw in um, demand response, which is a, a mm. program that can lower your usage. So maybe you need less resources. Yes, I uh, like that too. <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a 20 year look where we say. Okay, here's all the assets we have. Here's their age, or here's the contracts we have. Here's their age. Either the contracts will expire, or the uh, the generation we own will need to be replaced. So, what is the uh, what is the best replacement for those assets? And it's a it's an economic look, but it also takes into account reliability, and then it also takes into account you know other factors like. Uh, environmental compliance or just general decarbonization, which is right. a, you know a, a challenge when you own 
traditional thermal generating assets. So yeah. um, it's, it's that 20 year look, we kind of have a 10 year, very actionable plan. And then the next 10 is what we think is going to happen, but we know we're going to look at it before then. So we'll, we'll leave that one a little more, that section a little, little more up in the air. Yeah. So, because, and I know, uh, because usually what our group gets involved with, because we do a lot of intervention at the Public Service Commission, is the investor-owned utilities. Ameren, Evergy, Liberty Empire. Um, going to take a little pause. Uh, okay. Well, I don't think we have to cut that out, Philip. It's just my dog. Sorry, everybody. He, he, she gets really excited about the IRP process. Um, they are required by law to submit an IRP every three years with these uh, sort of like uh, annual updates that look out into the future as you've detailed. I mean, is there any law that says city utilities has to do that? Is that something you just do as a good practice? Yeah, I think we do it as a good practice. Um, mm-hmm. there's, there's no requirement that we do it. And we're kind of on that three-year cycle as well, especially right now with, um, you know, things, things change. You talked about the utility of the past versus the utility of the present. Mm-hmm. And it used to be in the utility planning process, you had linear, you know, customer growth and linear load growth. And it was generally what generation are we going to add so we can serve that load. Uh, load growth has been flat for 10 years or more, even declining at times due to energy efficiency measures um, primarily. So even though we have a growing customer base, our load's not actually increasing, which, which is counterintuitive, uh, but it's been that way for a while. It may, that may switch at some point as, you know, all of the light bulbs are replaced with energy efficient light bulbs and all of the appliances get, get upgraded to energy, more energy efficient appliances. The thing that may, may bounce that is electric vehicles in the future. Um, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. I mean, that's like, you're talking about, that could be a significant amount of demand for, for people like you. For Absolutely. Your, your, your utility. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, so you say three, you, you kind of three years, was that, you know, cause I, I kind of have this like pre COVID times and post COVID times. I'm trying to remember, I know you had some public meetings I, I thought it was in 2018, maybe it was in 2019, where you were talking about your IRP the last time you went through this. Was that 2019? I believe it was, yeah. I think we did a 2017 and a 2019, and now we're kind of on a 2022. Hmm. So but it could be the public meetings were in 2018, and we didn't actually publish the document until oh. 2019. So, yeah, it, that could be correct. I'd have to go back and look at the dates. I've had well, COVID since then, so that's probably why my memory is not so good. Um it looks like it's a 2018 data at least oh. and was out in 2019. Okay. Thank you, Philip. Yeah. Very Glad good. we got a producer on this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what do you, I mean, so like in a, in a nutshell, and I mean, I don't want to like quiz you on it, but what did your last IRP process say? What did it say people would, should expect in the next 20 years to the city of Springfield? Well, in the, you know, in the short term recommendations, it was officially retiring James, Uni- James River Power Stations Unit 4 and 5, which, we, yeah. which we've done. And they were not really operational at that point. They were still technically shown as a resource. So um, that was the that was the short term, uh, one of the short term recommendations. It showed the, the next one um, within that 10 year window was the retirement of uh, JTEC 1, which is one of our coal units, an older coal unit. Uh, showed that in 2027, and the the replacement for that energy and capacity being a combination of solar uh, storage and demand response that piece that would that would lower our energy. 
Um, beyond, there wasn't really anything else within the 10 years. Beyond that, there were combustion turbines that uh, would come of age and probably be retired. There wasn't a specific recommendation other than an acknowledgement that the, the low cost, what appeared to be the low cost resource for energy was going to be some renewable wind or, or solar um, to be determined at that time. So, right. so yeah, that was, it, I, think, I think in a nutshell, the future is probably going to be uh, more energy from renewable resources um, and then trying to figure out that capacity piece where we have things that can come on when we need them to come on if the renewables are not exactly there, whether that's battery storage or mm -hmm. something different in the future. Yeah, because I mean, that, that to me, like I've, I've been working at Renew Missouri for close to five years now, and I've been hearing a lot about battery storage. I mean, while well, I was working in energies before then, six years, I guess, I've heard about battery storage as being like, it's just around the corner, <laughs> just around the corner. Yeah. And it, 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 we haven't got there yet. Now, you all, I don't, you might have glossed over this a little bit. You still all have a battery storage pilot going on in Springfield, do you not? We do. Yeah. Yeah. It was a partnership with North Star Battery, a local battery manufacturer. It's not real big. It's one megawatt, one megawatt yeah. hour. Um, we are uh, we are in the fifth year of that agreement uh, mm -hmm. to kind of demo that and, and test that out. So we're still we're still working with them, and they're still yeah. testing their batteries, and we're still charging and discharging and trying to figure out if we're going to do something different with that. But yeah, yeah. we do. We we I I did forget that we have a one megawatt. Um, yeah. battery storage project. I think it's very exciting. And that's why I brought it up. And I, you know, because it is a pilot, that means that essentially you are all testing it, learning from it, trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. I mean, so you're still kind of in the process of seeing like, is this going to be a long-term viable option now, or is it going to have to be something that we like keep looking at? Right. It, it is. Yeah. And, and probably our primary motivation there, two, two factors that uh, really motivated us to do the project. One was we we needed to learn more about about battery storage. Yeah. So I think we've done that. The second one was the partnership with this local manufacturer and and hopeful that if they could develop this product line and test it and it was useful, that would mean building more batteries in Springfield and economic mm. development from yeah. from a utility perspective. They build more batteries, charge more batteries we sell them more energy and that's good for us and good for them. So, Hey, there you go. That is, uh, that works, but you're, but, and again, it kind of brings up an interesting question. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, you know, look at like what you, you were looking at as far as the plan from a couple of years ago to now, I mean, you know, without having to like get into too much about like what you eventually think this is going to say, I mean, how much has changed in that three years? I mean, do you see your plan as being radically different? Do you see like you have a, a clear understanding of where, Springfield's uh, uh, future is power-wise. Can we get a mm. can we get a taste? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know that it's changed dramatically. Mm. Uh, I, you know, there's been probably in the in the past couple of years more conversation about um, decarbonization than there had been yeah. in, the, in the previous um, administration. So, you know, looking at 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 certain dates and certain timelines, um, you know, we'll have probably some goals on on decarbonization that'll be worked into our planning. Um, okay. I, so I, I don't know that we had that as a control in the past. So I think we're looking at a 
70% reduction in carbon by 2035 and being net carbon zero by 2050. So that's yeah. that's new. We haven't ever really had that constraint in the yeah. past. It's, it's self-imposed because we see if we don't plan for that and that's where the country is headed, then, yeah. uh, then we're not going to be in a good position. Because you are talking about you're buying things off the market and that's going to be where those trends are going. And that's that's going to factor into that too, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. So the 70% reduction by 2035, what year is that reduction based off of? It's based off 2005. 2005. Um, which, which was the Clean Power Plan, Clean Power Plan uh, legislation yeah. year. And that seems to be what everyone wants to base it off of. Yeah. Um, so we've just, that that's what you've seen seem to see in the industry. So that's what we've went with. Um, that could change, you know, if, if it's a different date or a different starting point, then, then we'll have to adjust. But that's, that's what we've started with today. And, and was there a higher percentage? I think you mentioned it, like I know 2035, was there another year you were mentioning another uh, milestone? Uh, 2050 to be net zero carbon. At zero. Yeah. Wow. Philip, yeah. is this news to us? Yeah, I did not know that. That's awesome. That's exciting. Uh, <laughs> breaking news for Renew Guru folks. Um, yeah, I, I know, don't think we've talked actually... about that publicly much yet. So, oh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, um, so you guys may be the first ones to know. Don't worry, no one listens to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we have talked to our board, which is the important thing. So Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's, that's amazing. Um, yeah, because I was actually thinking the 2005 number is what, isn't it what City of Columbia is using, Philip? Philip, you're kind of our inside guy there with City of Columbia, right? Um, yeah, I mean, it's based on uh, 2005 levels of greenhouse gas emissions because it's oh. a greenhouse gas emission reduction. So it's 80% by 2050 and then 100% by 2060. Yeah, right. And I mean, you know, you're, you're also talking about, I mean, did, and there is a lot of moving parts going on, Chris, uh, with the, uh, with the, I mean, we just had an infrastructure bill pass in the law. There is going to be a lot of EV going along with that. I mean, uh, you know, it's probably too early to say where that all is going to be invested, but I mean, that, I mean, you're probably going to have to put a lot of electric vehicle infrastructure in and around Springfield, because not only for the, you have a big population there, but you also have an interstate and a U.S. highway that goes through Springfield. Right. So you're going to have a lot of travelers going through there. Well, two, two U.S. highways. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. We, we expect to see, uh, we expect to see significant activity on the electric vehicle side in the future. And, and that's going to require more charging stations. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, I mean, is that, I mean, does that go into your calculations about how, I mean, you talk about load being flat and that's a, that's a pretty common thing I hear from people all over the state uh, because of energy efficiency and because of, you know, just people building houses that are more efficient these days. Right. I mean, so are you look? I mean, you're, you're probably looking at how that will affect your load EVs. Yes. Yeah. Not to mention the fact, I mean, you're not just cars, but trucks. I mean, one thing that I think maybe a lot of people don't realize around the state is like Springfield is a big hub for trucking, um, probably because of its location and just because of where it is. But there's a lot of trucking there. And I mean, I think that those large scale EV, um, you know, 18 wheelers or just any kind of fleet is going to be significant. Um, but that's kind of like far afield. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, and you also talked about there's going to be some demand response there. I mean, like I know 
Renew Missouri, despite our name, energy efficiency has become a lot more of, of part of our work. I mean, so you're also planning out like how energy efficiency is going to play into that too, right? Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, we just completed a demand response potential study. I say we completed, we had a consultant that, that completed that. And Brett Baker, our, uh, our VP over customer operations, his yep. group kind of headed that up because most of those are customer type programs. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think we have, uh, you know, the, the benefit of that type of study is it'll tell you what the potential savings are from a, from a megawatt basis. Then it'll also tell you which of the menu of demand response options based on surveys of our actual customers do they think will be effective. Mm -hmm. And you can see, you know, demand response uh, surveys of other states or other regions, but you really need to know, you know, the customers in Springfield and Southwest Missouri, what programs are they interested in? So that's what that study did for us. I think yeah. they recommended four different programs and, and then they gave us a range of how much they thought we could potentially save between like 11 and 80 megawatts. So it's a pretty big range and it depends on how you approach the program and how quickly you get it implemented, but, but it's significant. And we believe that uh, that investment would be lower cost than a supply side investment, you know, building another combustion mm, yeah. turbine, for instance. So yeah. um, that's, that's likely going to come rise to the top of the, of the IRP since it is kind of an economic model. If these are the yeah. lowest cost resources, that'll probably be the thing we'll do first. Is, is that, is that study about the demand? Is that, has that been unveiled yet? Or are we still waiting on that to, to be, I, I don't know to, that it has. Um, it's been it's been completed. I've seen it. We haven't talked to. We haven't even talked as an executive leadership team yet right. to to formally give the go ahead to. Okay, we want to pursue these programs. So, mm. um, it, not not yet. Um, I don't think we've talked to our board about it yet. We needed it as an input for the IRP process. That's why the timing was was kind of key because we needed to know which programs, how much they could save, and how much they would cost. So we could plug that in when they start doing the analysis on the integrated resource plan side. Yeah. And I mean, cause I mean, it's also important to note, I mean, as I said, Renew Missouri has, has developed a particularly big focus on energy efficiency, but you all have a different, you know, the, the investor owned utilities get, you know, invest, they get the kind of a rate of return on energy efficiency programs. They are able, they invest hundreds of millions of dollars in that that's not something you all get the benefit of as a municipally owned utility to, to not, be able to take advantage of MIA. Right. No, not right. directly. No. Right. Oh, right. I mean, because I mean, I think ultimately, you know, when you're talking about like, let's say Evergy and Liberty are also uh, part of SPP and they're mm -hmm. having to buy power. And then if they're being able to reduce their demand, then that's something that kind of makes that process easier, makes like the less stress on the grid. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's, a, that's all very interesting. Now, um, because uh, we, the, the, I kind of wanted to have some, some timing on this because you all have City Utilities is hosting a meeting or like kind of a public hearing. I don't know if it's a hearing. I mean, you're just meeting, talk about your IRP. You're going right. to be doing that next Wednesday, right? Can you talk a little bit about what that is going to be like? Yeah, it's a, so it's a, it's a public meeting where it's, it's, it's educational. Mm -hmm. um, in, in covering many of the same things that we talked about today on your podcast, uh, in terms of what are our current resources, what type of new resources we'll be considering in the plan, um, what, a, I mean, really what an IRP is at its basic level, what SPP is, how that grid kind of works together, 
um, those pieces of information, what our purchase power agreements are. So, right. um, and then an opportunity to, to, to talk about um, some of the assumptions, what, what our demand looks like. Um, so you can see it plotted out over the next 20 years and what's included in that. EVs are included in that, demand mm-hmm. response is included in that, customer growth, but there's just not a lot of load growth. Um, some of the other, uh, we'll develop a, a base case, if you will, of what we think the future looks like. And then we'll have some scenarios that we'll run off of that. What if we have a carbon tax? How does that impact right. things? Um, what if we have really high gas prices? How does that impact things? Mm. Um, so there's eight or 10 different scenarios that we'll look at. So it's, it's really an informational meeting on the front end of the process. And we'll solicit feedback as well. You can send in comments or, or give us feedback. Oh, there. Great. Because this is the second public meeting you've had on that. You had one earlier in the month and that we went did. well. You had a good response to that? It did. Um, you know, we don't ever have a, uh, a huge turnout to these meetings. Um, you know, we get... Are you saying get, this is not exciting for most people? <laughs> I like to believe that the community trusts that we're doing a good job. And yeah. so they're like, yeah, they're okay. They know what they're doing. Um, but yeah, it's it's for some people, it's interesting. For other people, it just might be they happen to might be at the library that day so they stop in to see what we're doing because we usually do these at the the north library center and the south library center so yeah because um, this one is next wednesday the 23rd from four to six at the library center which is on the south side of town yeah yeah for for all of you who's going local that's the one that's on south campbell you got to go past highway 60 or james river expressway for those of you there and it's like if you go past sam's club the new sam's club it's down to your right that's right i'm super local um <laughs> You know us well. I know. I know. I, <laughs> I know that part of the world pretty well. Um, Chris, you know, we're kind of, I didn't want to take up too much of your lunch hour doing this. Is there anything like that you, if, if people are listening to this, want to learn more about city utilities or about their process that you would want to direct them to? Yeah. I mean, if you want to learn more about city utilities, um, you can hit up our website. There's lots of good information on there. Just www.cityutilities.net. Um, and you can you can find all sort. You can find our old, our old, our 2019 version of the integrated resource plan. It's out on that uh, particular website. You can find lots of other documents out there on the website. General information about the utility. Uh, if you want to learn more about this specific effort, yeah, come by and uh, stop by and and uh, visit us at our public meeting next uh, next week. Yeah. I I happen to be in Springfield then anyway. I will be there. And just for our, our fans, I will not be doing autographs after So don't come with anything you want me to sign. Uh, Chris, <laughs> thank you again for your time. I really appreciate this. Um, Philip, anything you want to add uh, before we sign off? No, I had a question on the potential study, but you answered that. So oh, thank okay. you very much. Look at that. We got that covered. I mean, the one thing I would say uh, before I, I sign off is we are going to be doing a webinar the Renew Missouri is going to be doing a webinar about um, kind of PSC procedure, also very exciting, on March 10th uh, from 1.30 to 2.30. We're going to be sending out information about that on this website, so we hope you can join. It is for $25. All that stays with the New Missouri. If you've given $25 uh, this year so far, you will be able to attend that for free. Um, if you like this podcast, subscribe to it on all major podcast platforms. Leave a review. Post it on your social media accounts so you can share all of this really good information that Mr. Jones shared with us. On behalf of Renew Missouri, I'm James Owen, uh, wishing you all a good day and a pleasant tomorrow.